When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, it's Mehdi here. This month, we're taking a minute or so before each show to invite you to become a member of our podcast. This is an era of unprecedented attacks on the freedom of the press from the commander-in-chief. The media is under assault from this president like never before. Now is a time we all need to get behind journalists, media organizations that are trying to do their jobs, report the news, get to the truth. And so I'm asking you all today to become a member and supporter of the deconstructed community to give whatever you can, 5, 10, 15, $20 a month or more. Head to theintercept.com forward slash give. I mean, you're a fan of what we do, right? You're listening to the show right now. You've downloaded it. You never miss deconstructed. And why would you? Last June, on the day the Supreme Court upheld Donald Trump's Muslim ban, we interviewed the first Muslim American congressman, Keith Ellison, an emotional, I think, important conversation about what it meant to him to see his faith under attack in his own country from the highest court in the land. And when the Senate confirmed Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court back in October, we were there just minutes after the final gavel with a panel of journalists and activists to discuss what it meant for the US, what it meant for people of color, what it meant for minorities, what it meant for women. But this stuff doesn't happen for free. You have to support good quality journalism with whatever you can afford. You may think it's a small donation, but when you donate, you're part of a broader, wider community that's helping to make independent journalism like ours stronger and healthier. So do please head to theintercept.com forward slash give. Remember, we're not supported by ads or corporate sponsors. We're not accountable to shareholders. We're only accountable to you, the listener. And I hope the member. This is a different model where you can support the journalism that you value, and I hope you value us. So together, let's carry on making a difference. Theintercept.com forward slash give. Thank you very much in advance. On to this week's show. He's the guy who is so familiar. He is the middle of the road. I take the train. Amtrak, Delaware, folksy, aw shucks, not a woman, not a person of color, not gay, right? Like he's, he's all the things that revert back to who historically had always had the grip on power and the reassurance that that kind of person might still have the grip on power. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. Is Joe Biden really the person to lead the Democrats to victory come November 2020? Is he the man who can beat Donald Trump and reach the parts of the Trump electorate that other Democrats can't? Or is that just a bunch of dangerous nonsense? I think it is patently absurd, the notion that he thinks he's the future of a party, where in fact he's been one of the backbones of it for the better part of five decades. That's my guest, the acclaimed writer and author, Rebecca Traister. We'll be talking about Biden's awful record in office, as well as his mastery of misjudgment. So on today's show, get ready. It's the case against former Vice President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. And yeah, that's really his middle name. I know how to make government work. Not... Not because I've talked or tweeted about it, but because I've done it. I've worked across the aisle to reach consensus 
helped make government work in the past. I can do that again with your help. For me, for me, to me, our principles must never be compromised, but compromise itself is not a dirty word. That was former Vice President Joe Biden speaking at a rally in Philadelphia on Saturday and formally announcing the launch of his campaign for the Democratic presidential nomination. He's been the favourite for a while and has been consistently leading in the polls for several months now, which is kind of odd in some ways given he's a 76-year-old white dude with very few actual policies in a party that's been getting younger, more female and increasingly non-white in recent years. Then there's his tendency to make gaffes, His mastery of misjudgment. Here's just a small selection of things he said in the past couple of months alone, starting with his failure to apologise to Anita Hill for throwing her under the bus in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings he chaired back in 1991. I'm sorry the way she got treated. If you go back and look what I said and didn't say, I don't think I treated her badly. At a time when everyone in his party is dumping on the 1994 crime bill, including Bill Clinton, who signed it, Biden made sure to also remind us that it wasn't all bad. Because when we did the crime bill, everybody talks about the bad things. Let me tell you about the good thing in the crime bill. It's the one that had the assault weapons ban, a limited number of, of bullets in a clip. And insisted ludicrously that the party that spent a year refusing to allow Barack Obama to fill a Supreme Court seat, spent many years investigating Hillary Clinton over absurd Benghazi conspiracy theories, and basically set new records for congressional obstruction of a president, that party is suddenly going to embrace bipartisanship and embrace him the moment he's elected. The thing that will fundamentally change things is with Donald Trump out of the White House. Not a joke. You will see an epiphany occur among many of my Republican friends. In the midst of scandals surrounding his infamous handsiness with women, the former vice president also made this quote-unquote joke with his arm around a small child. By the way, he gave me permission to touch him. I- Hilarious. Well, how about this? Straight after. I'm not sorry for any of my intentions. I'm not sorry for anything that I have ever done. I've never been disrespectful intentions. I'm not sorry for anything I have ever done. Biden referring there to his treatment of women, but in many ways that comment applies across the board. He's never really expressed a proper, meaningful, genuine apology for some of the horrific things in his record, like his championing of the crime bill or his strong support for the Iraq war in 2003, or the fact that he basically helped the credit card industry get away with all sorts of shit for years. I want to talk about his record and his positions with my guest, Rebecca Traster, in a moment. But before I do, permit me to say a few words about the word that's most associated with Joe Biden these days, electability. There is this argument that whatever you think of Biden and wherever you are on the political spectrum, if you want Trump to lose in 2020, the Democrats' best bet is good old Joe Biden. He's electable. Uh, Many Democrats, their most important issue is electability. And right now, polls indicate that Joe Biden would be that most electable person. Poll after poll shows that voters believe, rightfully or not, that Biden is the most electable, even if they don't love his policies. Now, I tend to think that what most people really mean by electable is that he's a white dude, an older white dude. And the only person who can beat Trump, they think, is an old white man. Indeed, Biden is presented by his supporters and by huge chunks of the media as some sort of white working class voter whisperer, this champion, this hero of the Rust Belt, the blue collar candidate. But where is the evidence for any of these claims? I haven't seen it. It's just asserted as fact. But look at Biden's actual electoral record. 
11 years ago in 2008, he ran for the Democratic presidential nomination and came a humiliating fifth in Iowa with less than 1% of the vote. Less than 1%. He dropped out. 20 years earlier, in the race for the 1988 Democratic presidential nomination, Biden was caught up in a plagiarism scandal. He dropped out. I do it with incredible reluctance, and it makes me angry. I'm angry with myself for having been put in the position, put myself in the position, of having to make this choice. And here we are, yet again, with Biden in the race for 2020. Third time lucky, I guess. Don't forget also his career as a United States senator from the tiny state of Delaware. In 36 years running for office every six years in Delaware, he faced just one competitive race. That's it. One. Right at the beginning, back in 1972. So I ask again, where is this evidence that he's some major vote winner, that he reaches parts of the electorate that other Democratic candidates don't? I mean, I guess he was part of the winning Democratic presidential ticket in 2008 and 2012. But is anyone seriously going to argue that Barack Obama would not have won those races had Joe Biden not been on the ticket? Seriously? In fact, and I know we have such short memories in the media, but we've known for a while that Obama's top aides considered replacing Biden on the ticket in 2012 with Hillary Clinton because they thought Clinton would give them a boost in the polls. Oh, the irony. And I'm also reminded of the fact that just as Biden is seen as a candidate of the white working class in this 2020 Democratic race, so was Hillary Clinton in the 2008 Democratic race. And we know how that turned out in the end. Look, I suspect Biden's lead is going to start coming down. It's still a long time till the Iowa caucuses, which are more than eight months away. The first televised debates are next month. And I think you'll see the gaff-prone, policy-free former vice president struggle and take some hits on stage from the likes of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and even Kamala Harris. Well, I have a great deal of respect for Vice President Joe Biden, but um, I disagree with him. That 1994 crime bill, it did contribute to mass incarceration in our country. People say electable, electable. But this is the era of Donald J. Trump. Does anyone even know what electable means anymore? What counts as electable? Never forget, in 2016, 17 Republicans ran for their party's presidential nomination and the guy from Home Alone 2 won. So anyone who tells you at this stage that Biden has got this in the bag is either a liar or a fool. Let's see if my guest today agrees with me. She's one of my favourite writers right now. She's writer-at-large for New York Magazine and The Cut and a contributing editor at Elle Magazine. She's the author of, among other books, Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. And she's also written an essay, which I urge you all to read after you finish listening to this show, headlined, Joe Biden Isn't the Answer. Rebecca Traster joins me now. Rebecca, thanks for being here on Deconstructed. Thank you so much for having me. In your New York Magazine essay from March, which I loved... On Biden. You say he's the champion, the protector of, quote, that guy in the diner. You say he himself is that guy. Who is that guy? Rebecca? <laughs> that guy is the sort of prototypical imagined voter and often, in fact, the politician that a Democratic Party, in my view, turned to very soon after the transformative and disruptive social movements of the mid to late 20th century. So the women's movement, the civil rights movement, the gay rights movement, after which there was a kind of partisan realignment in which a Democratic Party suddenly found itself in the in the 1970s yeah. and moving into what was going to become 
become the Reagan revolution as the party that was defending civil rights, women's rights, these newly won liberties for people who historically had been very marginalized. And the party itself, which was still run by white men, imagined Mm. the American voter to be the white man, you know, um, in the diner, in the diner. Now, I think (laughs) I don't know if the diners were as hot in the 1970s as they are now. But Biden is the he is he's that guy. He's the guy who is so familiar. He is the middle of the road. I take the train, Amtrak, Delaware, folksy, aw shucks, not perfect, not polished, not Ivy League, not a woman, not a person of color, not gay. Right. He's he's all the things that revert back to who historically had always had the grip on power and the reassurance that that kind of person might still have the grip on power. And it's not just I'm not talking about just the fact that he's a white guy. I want to be really clear about that. Right. He was a white guy who ran in the early 70s for his Senate seat on a civil rights platform and then made a turn on busing and desegregation efforts. Right. Anti-busing. Anti-busing. Right. Became anti-busing. He had run on a on a busing platform. But then when he was met, you know, when when we had these transformative moments, I think movements, we often we often talk about them because they are now decades in the past. I think we forget how disruptive they were to the fabric of daily life and to and to politics. But there was there was pushback to them, right? That pushback in part fuels Reagan and the rise of the right in the 1980s. And so when Joe Biden gets into office, he faces pushback from many of his white constituents in Delaware and he turns on busing. And actually, in his public turn on busing, he gives cover to other white Democrats who then also turn on busing and ultimately the busing legislation is defeated. So that's one example. He is also from the beginning anti-abortion. He gets sworn into office weeks before Roe v. Wade is decided in 1973. And in 1976, the Hyde Amendment, a legislative writer that that uh, prohibits the use of federal insurance programs to pay for abortions, thereby making abortion inaccessible to low-income women. Joe Biden votes for it, even in its earliest incarnations, which didn't have exceptions for life and health of the mother and rape and incest. Um, That's where he is on abortion in the beginning. You talk about disruptive periods. We are in a pretty disruptive period right now, I think it's fair to say. You say in your piece that Biden is seen as, quote, the best and safest candidate to get us out of this perilous and scary political period. And then you add, but the irony is that so much of what is terrifying and dangerous about this time are, in fact, problems that can be laid at the feet of Joe Biden himself and the guys we've regularly been assured are Democrats' only answer? Some might say that's a bit unfair. Are you saying Biden is to blame? I'm not for saying Trump? it's Joe Biden's fault. What no. I'm saying is the that cult- the failure, the failure of the party that he's been senior within in mm. one capacity or another, as a senator and then as a vice president. Um, has not aggressively defended the very freedoms that were won in that disruptive period, right? So if you look at everything from the, the Voting Rights Act, Roe, there are a whole set of actual changes that happened that are precisely what made everybody so uncomfortable, right? New kinds of freedoms, protections, opportunities for kinds of people who'd been denied them in the past. So the Democratic Party, to my mind, has not vociferously and energetically defended those wins. They've mm. been in retreat from them. They've yes. behaved defensively. Joe Biden is emblematic of that. Is it Joe Biden's fault? No. But the fact, for example, that he did vote for Hyde and supported it for a long time, and as recently as 2007, by the way, was was 
still saying that he didn't he yes he'd gotten better on abortion but still sort of saw it in this paternalistic way he just wants to help young women not have to make hard decisions or whatever he's also the guy who oversaw the Clarence Thomas confirmation yep. hearings he is the man who was in charge of the judiciary committee he had to be pressed and essentially have his hand forced in order to let Anita Hill testify to begin with that she had been and he sexually harassed from coming forward and he to testify blocked there were three other women who were willing to come forward to back up Anita Hill, he did not let them testify. And Clarence Thomas got confirmed. And what's amazing about politics, and people don't recognize this, I think, we live in such a cynical age, but actually people are very generous, I've noticed over the years, and I've obviously worked in political journalism on both sides of the Atlantic. An apology gets you quite far. A genuine apology gets even you... Even not that genuine. You know, apologies that you somehow right, pretended. Right, that's true. He that's doesn't true. even bother to do that. When right. you take Anita Hill, the guy had, what, 20-odd years? More than 20 years. 27 years. 27 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay, I'm going to run for president. In between, he did run for president. We'll come to that in a moment. And yet he never does an apology. And on the eve of his candidacy, he rings her up and he still doesn't apologize. It's not a good apology. He doesn't He's apologize. He's so bad at this stuff. And even after she has come out and said, actually, that's not, that doesn't do it for yeah. me. He then, within days of Anita Hill publicly saying, this is not, yeah. th- this hasn't miraculously hasn't won me over. He goes in public and says, I don't think I treated her very badly, which is wrong. It's incorrect. It is factually incorrect. He also speaks about those hearings as he speaks about so much. I notice he just made comments about the Hyde Amendment that are similar. He speaks in a passive sense. I wish I could have done more to prevent those questions the way they asked them. I hope my colleagues learn from that. Learn from that. She deserves to be treated with dignity. I wish I could have done more. He was a passerby, not the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He ran the fucking Judiciary Committee. It was his choice who testified. It was he had the ability. Those, if you go back and watch, a lot of people, it is now 28 years ago, a lot of people don't remember or didn't watch, have been born since. If you go back and watch Anita Hill's testimony and the way that she was treated by his colleagues, colleagues he says warm things about all the time. He's always, that's part of his cell right now in in, in 2020, right? They're good Republicans and the system works because I would go down and have lunch. I'd fight like hell with them on the floor and then I'd go down and have lunch with them afterwards. The system worked, right? These are his buddies. In fact, it is it is on record that one of the reasons he said he didn't want to hear Hill's testimony was because he had promised a yes, Republican colleague in a, the Senate gym that it would be a quick confirmation process. So these are his buddies, and he does not stop them, defend her, reprimand them, point out the grotesque way they're treating her. He didn't do any of that, and he had the power. And it's the same thing He re- I saw over the weekend. Uh, I believe a representative from the ACLU got him at an event and said, I need to know, do you still support the Hyde Amendment? Because Biden has the story about him as he's come around on abortion, even though I think he still used Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This incredibly yes. paternalistic language about it. And he failed to support the Freedom of Choice Act, which in theory would have prevented a lot of these state measures severely limiting or banning abortion from going through. He did not support that. But purportedly, he's gotten better. So um, a woman gets to him at an event and says, this is just within the past few days, do you still support the Hyde Amendment? And I believe what he says is, yeah, it's got to go. It's got to go. Now, it does have to go. (laughs) But the idea that he had no role in it being the law of the land for these 43 years? But isn't the problem, Rebecca, that that works with a lot of people? A lot of people aren't going to go, I either weren't born then, aren't, don't yes. remember what happened then, or I'm going to go back on right. YouTube, the glories of YouTube. I mean, right. mass incarceration, if we take that topic. <laughs> oh, we, oh, we, we haven't we, even we, gotten we, to we the crime bill. To mass incarceration. Right, yeah. This is a guy who's behind a m- bunch of measures, including the 1995 crime bill, which Bill Clinton right. now says... Yes, it did lead to mass incarceration. Right, when Bill Clinton gives a better apology yeah. and, and acknowledgement of error than whereas, you do. Joe Biden, right. Joe Biden says, uh, no, it didn't lead to mass incarceration. This idea that the crime bill generated mass incarceration, it did not generate mass incarceration. His senior advisor, Simone Sanders, who's a friend of mine, goes out on CNN at the weekend, says it does not lead to mass incarceration. That's weird. But what's worse is, forget the numbers, go on YouTube. I mean, this is what I think is going to damage him. Uh, over time, I don't think he's going to run away with this yet. No, neither and we can do come I. To that. No, I, I agree with you. When you that, watch some of the clips, it's not just that he voted for this stuff or wrote the legislation. He's laughing. He's making jokes about oh, the death absolutely. penalty. He's saying vicious things about the quote unquote super predators, which did in Hillary Clinton. Because that worked for him, right? Again, he was the comforter. Now, I'm going to give you another example. And this is this is less about policy because, yes, he's the person who thought of and proudly took credit for the sentencing disparities between crack and and he says the Republicans cocaine. will not be able to go to the right of us on this. I, I dare them. Exactly. And and he doesn't he he has bragged for years about being the architect of those sentencing disparities that caused that created a problem of mass incarceration along racial lines. Yes. Right. Here's another example. And it's, it's not about policy. When he was in, he's run for president twice before. One of the great ironies about Joe Biden yeah. being the great front runner in 2020 is that the man has run. He's a he's, serial loser. He's a serial to loser. The, president the first of the United time, he's a loser. the first time, he had to leave because of plagiarism. Yeah. The second time, he got 0.7 percent in Iowa. Yeah, came fifth, I think he did. In- yeah, it, Bill Richardson got more votes than in the caucus so in Iowa than he did. Explain this reputation of white working oh. class vote whisperer. Okay, listen. <laughs> First of all, a lot of his support right now is coming from black voters. And it's real. And there have been a couple of articles about the devotion that many black voters, the base of the Democratic Party, have to Joe Biden. But the irony is that that is he's getting that approval and he is being that comforting figure to part of the Democratic base because of his association with Barack Obama. And the irony of this, I think, speaks directly to the role of that guy in response to potentially disruptive changes in who has power in this country. So in 2007, he's running for the presidency against Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and John Edwards and Bill Richardson. And he says in an interview... Early on. Oh, yes. Because he's a gaff. In addition to everything else, he's a gaff machine. He's always saying the wrong thing. Okay? Was, was it clean? Was it? Clean and articulate. I mean, you got the first sort of 
mainstream African American who is articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice looking guy. He says this fundamentally racist thing about his then competitor in the primary, Barack Obama. And it is racist in that way that can be attributed to kind of a folksy racism, your uncle racism, right? Thanksgiving table. (laughs) Right. And and so then he loses horribly. And after the first contest where he gets less than one percent, he's out. Barack, there's a long and protracted primary. Um, Barack Obama comes out the winner. And then we have this position of first the first time in the United States. We have an African-American man who is the Democratic nominee for the presidency. And there is real fear surrounding that. We've never elected anybody who's not a white man to the White House before. Well, who do you pick? to comfort the folksy racists. You pick Uncle Joe, who said the folksy racist thing about his competitor. So the irony is he gets that job, yeah. and this, I'm, I, not, I got not, more. Not in spite of, I, but not because of. because of the easy denigration of exactly, and that's that role again. And it comforts white people, but, but it comforts white voters. I'm gonna jump voters. in here on Obama here, because it's yeah. an important point. Uh-huh. We've had a lot of, a lot of liberals, including yourself, um, I saw, you know, Jamel Bowie, a mm-hmm. bunch of people have written really interesting pieces about pushing back against the, the, the Biden phenomenon that right. we're seeing right now, because he is leading by a big way. He's right. doing much better than a lot of people thought he'd do. What's interesting is I don't see a lot of criticism of Obama, because if Biden is the front runner today, that's because of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. If Biden was horrible on mass incarceration and abortion and busing, he was horrible when Barack Obama picked him in yes. 2008. I think that's so, fair. So where is the criticism of Obama? Well, it feels like Obama's untouchable here and we can all pile on to Biden. Oh, I don't think Obama is untouchable. I think that it is extremely fair to point out that he chose somebody as his running mate and his partner in the White House, who had this record. But I also think that's not done in a vacuum, and this is neither a defense nor... Mm. Again, this is a country that is deeply uncomfortable around shifts in power and who holds power. Yeah. The election of Barack Obama was, we we look back at it, it's so funny in retrospect, and I think about this around the question of electability now, and can we elect a woman, right? Well, historically, no, we can't, right? Can we elect a black man? Up in 2008, no. we Like, historically speaking, there's no model for it, so yeah. it's unimaginable, right? So... I, and this is not this is not an excuse. And I think that I think that left criticism of Obama's policy on a lot of this stuff is extremely valid. But I also think that in the moment of choosing as a running mate, you choose the person who is that guy who has been the comforter to the party that yeah. you are looking to lead and who has played the role of assuaging the the discomfort um, and whatever it is, like white liberal guilt or whatever of a party that has remained stubbornly in the center and has not been aggressive on defending this stuff, I think that there is a strategic move in picking that guy to be your partner. And yes, it's completely fair game to criticize. On the other hand, it is Joe Biden who's running for president in 2020, which I think accounts for why. So he's, so okay, let's look at someone else to blame. The the Democratic voters who are enthralled by Biden's candidacy in some ways. If you look at the polling, some of it is to do with voters seem to want to be pundits. You talk to a lot of people. I meet so many people who say, oh yeah, Joe Biden's going to get it. Well, why? Because he's going to get it. It's almost this a circular is, this argument. Is, I'm writing about this right now. Good. I don't I know when this your piece, It will be excellent. Yeah. We'll wait for... But, on, but, but a specific point about the fact that he is winning and that he has this coalition of uh, black voters from the base who, mm-hmm. love, who like him. He's got the highest approval ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got this quote-unquote white working class rust belt. Uh, you know, the, the Trump people who are going to peel away to Biden. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the definition of insanity is trying the same thing again and again and expecting different results. Is it unfair for me to say that Joe Biden is Hillary Clinton 2.0 with most of her flaws and very few of her pros? I think it's fair. As somebody who felt more warmly about Hillary Clinton in 2016 than you did, I would say there is significant difference between them. I do think that everything that she got criticized, truly... Every valid criticism of Hillary Clinton applies to Joe Biden times 20. And one of the things that enraged me in the in the sort of post 2016 was his assertions that he made several times like I could have I could have won. I could have beat Trump. Which is what's led us to this moment now. Right. No, exactly. His conviction that he could have done it. And it's like, as you said, she and I'm not. By the way, I'm I'm not in this to defend Hillary Clinton. So much of the criticism that she got from the left, I think, was merited and fair. Um, a, a lot of it is stuff she was married she was married to. Mm-hmm. Now, some of it, her her Iraq War vote, she no, did no, as a I, senator, right? No, like, I'm not saying I, it's no, all I'm just because of the. I look at Hillary Clinton. I think you know the whole. Remember the whole super predator stuff. She right. said that as first lady. Right. Biden was writing the damn legislation. He wrote the legislation. She got knocked for giving speeches to Goldman Sachs. He's a wholly owned creature of the credit card industry. We haven't talked about the credit card industry and, and the, the way that his in, uh, his battling that has gone on for decades against Elizabeth Warren. And yes. then he... And There's literally we a rival got, in the field who goes back decades fighting about I this. I also want, want to say this, which is an element, one of the things that has enraged me in 2020. You know, in 2016, when there was sort of some buzz, he clearly wanted to run. And it, what was very clear is that Barack Obama did not want him to run. I mean, that's from the outside, that seemed clear to me, that he wanted to challenge Hillary in a primary. He did not. But one of the things that his camp did at the time was float this rumor that he was going to run with Warren as his running mate. And it pissed me off at the time because it was so clearly false. Elizabeth Warren has been bird-dogging Joe Biden for decades, right, on the bankruptcy stuff, on being in the pocket of the credit card companies. There was no way. What an unlikely match. Well, then we get to, he doesn't run. It's all exposed. Lucky he didn't do that again this time, Rebecca. (laughs) He did it with Stacey Abrams and and Kamala Harris. That's now the new thing. He's going to run with Kamala Harris. Did you hear Kamala Harris's response? If people want to speculate about running mates, I encourage that because I think that Joe Biden would be a great running mate. As vice president, he's proven that he knows how to do the job. I mean, I think Stacey said something similar, which was, uh, you don't, I mean, it's not quite the same inversion, but like you don't run for number two. But the way this just speaks to the his willingness to use other people to enhance his own power and standing within the party. So for me, when I look at the Biden candidacy, I have many, many objections. And I sometimes ask myself, what is the biggest problem I have? Is it his support for the Iraq war that killed hundreds of thousands of Iraqis? Uh, Is it his support for big finance, which caused thousands of Americans to lose their homes, go broke, mass incarceration, which we've touched on, it wrecked entire communities, especially black communities. But right now, in the current political moment, I can't help but think that my biggest fundamental objection to him is that he doesn't get what he's up against. And we've heard this recently with the whole talk of Trump is an aberration. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Republicans will have an epiphany uh, once I'm elected. This sounds, feels like political malpractice. I, I just want to play a clip that really, really got to me over the weekend in Philadelphia. I know some of the really smart folks say Democrats don't want to hear about unity. They say Democrats are so angry that the anger a candidate can be, the better chance he or she has to win the Democratic nomination. Well, I don't believe it. I really don't. What's your response when you hear Joe Biden say that at his formal launch? I mean, my head is in my hands is my response. It makes me like it sparks an aneurysm. Um, Okay, so there are so many things about that 
that make me very angry. The first is his inability to recognize fury as valid, rational, and wholly appropriate to a moment that is beyond children dying in custody at the border, beyond women having their access to reproductive autonomy stripped, which is not just happening this week, but has been happening for years at the hands of a Republican Party that and, and aided and abetted by a, by moderate Democrats and anti-abortion Democrats who have permitted access to be yep. denied. Um, how can this man who gets so much of his electoral juice from his association with Barack Obama not be livid at a party that denied his president a Supreme Court yeah. seat that he was entitled to fill? How Suggested is it? Suggested his president wasn't American. Yes, for eight and then years. ran a can- lined up behind the candidate who said that his president wasn't American, and that is. And so much this precedes Trump. This is Mitch McConnell. This is the Republican Party as it has been built over the course of the decades in which Joe Biden has been in power in the Senate and has been colleagues and buddies with these people. So for me, that goes to the core of it. The fact that he's not angry or that he doesn't think anger is a righteous anger. And that he, who, look, Joe, look at last year. Look at 2018 and the midterm results. Do you first that of was, all that was women and people of color they getting were women rightly and angry. people of color who were lividly angry. Their anger, as happens electorally and within political and 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 social movements, in terms of organizing, propels people off their couch from a point of complacency and some easy lie about unity. Putting even aside my antipathy for him, yeah. right? It is May. Yeah. <laughs> Of 2019. We're a long way from Iowa. And I think that because this started so early, and by the way, it started so early in part because of the rage that Joe Biden doesn't seem to feel is useful, right? It started so early because people are so desperate, not just to replace Donald Trump, who is only one, a very powerful and horrible, but one symptom of what his of party has been working toward for decades, right? You have an energy around not just Trump. You have energy around every the Green New Deal. I mean, so... Medicare for all, free college becomes part of the conversation. The Green New Deal in a matter of months has become part of the conversation, right? We are changing what we can imagine and what we conceive of getting behind. And even and, and it's agree. happening it's at just a speed. It's depressing to see the front runner it is, on board with any it of those It is things. depressing, but I can't permit, and I, I, I've said this before, if I permitted myself to believe that this is what it was going to look like in six months, would, I would not be able to get out of bed in the morning no, because it, it is so be, depressing. It would be so and, depressing. And I'm not saying that I, again, I'm not predicting that it won't be, but I cannot live my life right well, we've now. We've got time. We have so As much time. We haven't even seen them on stages talking. Most people I think have the not seen. The debates are going to be fascinating, especially if Elizabeth Warren is allowed to debate him. We don't know what the layout's going to be because it's two nights at NBC with 20 candidates, 10 a night. Um, I do hope Elizabeth I Warren is on so the stage. I'm so desperate with, to see Elizabeth with, Warren with, with Joe Biden debate and Joe Biden. Bernie. Let me ask you the last question. We're out of time. If Joe Biden called you tonight and said, Rebecca, what am I not doing that I should be doing? What one piece of advice would you give him apart from saying oh. drop out? You're not allowed to say drop out. Oh. What would you say to him? This is a terrible question. One piece of advice? Just one. The, top, the first thing that comes into your head. I would say listen. I mean, this has, that's a dumb sort of like, you know, self-helpy kind of answer. But this is a thing I don't think he's doing. And it, and it, and it sort of the reason I use it as a stand-in is because it goes in all these directions. 
listen to the people who are challenging you. Listen to what they're saying and take it seriously. Don't just defend against it and reassert. I mean, this is I've, I've written that in my in my criticisms of him. He just presumes a kind of authority. It's it's the it's why he enters the race when there's no discernible reason for him, right? Like. He presumes a kind of authority that is like, you know, criticisms fly off him like rubber bullets or whatever. And it's like, Joe, you know, you've been in this party for 50 years. You've been, a, a, you know, a senator in this party for the better part of five decades. Start listening. Maybe there are people who are now saying things that you need to be listening to if you think you're the future of this party. Now, I think it's I think it is patently absurd the notion that he thinks he's the future of a party where in fact he's been the back one of the backbones of it for the better part of 5 decades. But try listening to the people who have questions about that future and try taking them seriously. And whether that means listening to Anita Hill, whether that means listening seriously to the people who are pushing him on revisiting and rethinking his attitudes about the crime bill and incarceration, whether that means seriously engaging questions of Hyde, for example, taking responsibility for it, acknowledging the things that he's done in the past that lead people to be as angry as they are with him, as you said at the beginning of the show, an apology and some actual self self-reckoning goes a long way with voters. If he actually sat down and had a conversation, what I'd say to him is like, come have a conversation with me for three hours and let's go through this piece by piece and talk about it. Joe Biden, the invitation is there from Rebecca Traster to come have a three hour conversation. Has I'm to happy, be three hours. I'm happy, to, I'm happy to host you both on this show. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you for having me. That was Rebecca Traster, author, writer, columnist. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, do email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.